Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about privacy and security with regard to health care, and we have two very wonderful guests, and let me tell you who they are. They're both on the phone with me. First, we have Michael Williamson, Esquire, who is currently Senior Consul and the Chief Compliance Officer and Chief Privacy Officer at APS Healthcare. Mike oversees and manages all activities related to the development, implementation, application, maintenance of, and compliance with all policies and procedures with regard to health information and compliance with HIPAA, which is, we've talked about that many times on our show, and the Department of Health and Human Services, DHHS, and all of the many, many regulations implementing HIPAA and other state and federal laws, professional ethics, accreditation, protecting confidentiality, and the privacy of individuals and their health care. So that is a really tall order. Also on the line, we are just thrilled um, with, we're speaking with Bill Turner. Now, I met Bill at a privacy conference, so that's where I said to him, we have to get you on the show. And he has a lot of different uh, acronyms after his name that he can tell you about. One is CIPP, which is a Certified Information Privacy Professional, which I also have. And he has CIPPC and um, HI Trust CSF practitioner, and he is also a chief security officer for APS Healthcare. He has lots of different initials after his name that he can tell you about, but Bill has over 20 years of privacy, security, and information system experience, and at APS, he spends much of his time in analyzing changes to new federal and state privacy and security regulations, and also aligning the privacy and security initiatives and putting them together because that's a tough one too. He has held the position of Director of Technology and Strategy for a 90-county hospital system in Texas. So he had that background too. And he has also held the position of Director of Client Enterprises for a nationwide network of 1,800-plus community-owned hospitals and 8,000-plus physicians. 
So he has worked in the defense industry. He has so many organizations that he participates in, and he has uh, really got wonderful experience, which both of these gentlemen have. And so I want to thank you both. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Maury. Happy to be here. Well, I'm going to be asking both of you questions, so I will just say who you are before I introduce, you know, introduce the question. So let's start out with Bill. Bill, how has the privacy and security landscape changed in the healthcare field? Back in the early 90s, the federal government started to look at both privacy and security, and the, initially the privacy rules came out. And during that time, um, we saw also the implementation of the security rules. And during that period of time, there was really, the organizations were not being held accountable from the federal standpoint. And so recently what we've seen is that they've begun finding organizations. And we're also seeing recently, as of last week, uh, Blumenthal, the Attorney General for Connecticut, actually find an organization uh, based on the HIPAA rules. So we're actually starting to see more penalties uh, come forth. And, and, and those so, penalties really make everybody really uh, very worried about the enforcement issues because that's very costly, not only in the actual penalties, but in the reputation and all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, we, ha- we have a duty in the healthcare field to make sure that we're protecting both, you know, our organization as well as our patients' uh, privacy, whether it's actual PHI or if it's, uh, you know, personal information that we may get, uh, so social security numbers or financial information. So really dealing in the healthcare company, you may deal with both health information, but then you have other types of private information that people need. And and so let, let me just have my audience understand what HIPAA stands for when they go to their doctors and they get these privacy notices with these disclosures that they get. That's the HIPAA rule and the HIPAA law. And why don't you explain what the HIPAA is and what the high-tech rules are? Well, HIPAA actually started um, under Title I as what they call the portability of insurance. And so that's what most people do when you leave a job. Uh, you know, they issue you a letter and you can port your insurance over. Well, they, came, they started with Title II, and Title II started with dealing with privacy, security, and transactions. And so over the years, we've been working with uh, HIPAA. In the last two years, they've started wanting to build electronic health records. And one of the things that they noticed was that with electronic health records is that people were extremely concerned about privacy and then how we were going to protect their privacy. And so the introduction of the High Tech Act uh, last February started us down that path. There was several changes to the privacy pieces, but there's also several changes to the security pieces to make sure that patient information is transmitted properly when it's moved from one location to the other location, but it's done securely, uh, those type of things. Right. So the HIPAA stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, right? Yes. And then, Actually, health information. Uh, you got it, right, yeah, Mark? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the high-tech 
that is dealing with the electronic medical records, which we think, you know, we know that what's going to be happening is all of our medical records are going to be um, electronically transferred and all of them um, in the electronic form. So please explain a little bit about the high-tech rules. That's to foster what? The the safety of that portability of the electronic medical records? Isn't that what that's all about? It's fostering the safety, and it's also Blumenthal with uh, Dr. Blumenthal with the Okay, well. The national coordinator, I'm sorry, let me start over. Um, part of it is what you just said, then. Part of it is also that people feel comfortable that their information is actually being kept private. And so Dr. Blumenthal, with the, the national coordinator in CMS, has continually said that if people are not comfortable with the records themselves, and they feel that they're not they're not private that the whole electronic health record will fail. Right. And so high tech was actually pushed to reinforce to the public that we're going to be protecting the data pri- the, the privacy of our patients and providers and so on. Right and safeguard it. So, Mike, please explain to my audience about your obligations under HIPAA and your obligations and how they have really changed under high tech. How has it really evolved? Sure. We have uh, three major uh, or primary obligations uh, pursuant to HIPAA, Mari, and, and one of those is to protect uh, and to uh, enhance, uh, to the extent we can, the, the rights of consumers uh, by providing them access to their health information, uh, controlling uh, the inappropriate use of that information. Um, secondarily, to improve the, the quality of health care in the United States by, as Bill referenced, uh, doing what we can to restore trust in the health care system among consumers, health care professionals, uh, the multitude of organizations and, and individuals uh, not just here at APS, but everywhere in the healthcare field who are committed to the delivery of care. And thirdly, to improve the, uh, uh, the efficiency, the effectiveness um, of healthcare delivery itself by contributing to, uh, again, as Bill referenced, a national framework uh, that's taking the shape of uh, this electronic health record initiative, at least in part, um, for uh, health privacy protections um, that build upon um, uh, efforts by uh, 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 local entities, states, individual health systems, organizations, and individuals themselves. Uh, high tech, uh, Bill spoke a bit about that. Um, it supplements the, uh, the general obligations I just described by uh, um, increasing the a potential monetary fines uh, for violators. So, as you as you mentioned, uh, it's got the uh, attention, um, I think, undivided of a lot of folks in the healthcare industry uh, of late. Um, it also allows uh, a state's uh, attorneys general, like um, Attorney Blumenthal in Connecticut, to enforce those privacy and security rules through actual uh, civil actions in federal courts. 
Um, and again, we just saw uh, a settlement of one of those, act the actual first action brought um, pursuant to the High Tech Act in Connecticut. It also expands uh, the application of most of the privacy rules and the security rules uh, contained in HIPAA to what they call business associates um, of uh, HIPAA-covered entities or um, entities who would be performing services for uh, healthcare companies um, downstream, so to speak. Their obligations are now equal to the obligations of uh, covered entities themselves to protect uh, healthcare information. And, and, and finally, probably most importantly, it expands the rights of uh, consumers um, in areas like uh, uh, their ability to con control disclosure of their health information. Um, it does that by mandating certain tracking of those disclosures, uh, by limiting certain disclosures, um, and by allowing uh, consumers generally a greater flexibility in, in uh, the control of the flow of their healthcare information. Right. And I think a lot of people who are listening right now, I mean, every, every one of us needs healthcare um, at one point or another in our lives. So we want to know that that information is accurate, that it's safeguarded, that it's protected. I know I recently had a fall and I was at the hospital and I was glad to be able to get the electronic records to bring to my doctor. And that was really great. On the other hand, I was worried about, well, who's getting this information or how is it erroneous? Because two years ago, I had some food poisoning. I was at a different hospital. And when I asked for my records, I got somebody else's records. So I think we can all really relate to how important it is that there is privacy and security with our records. And uh, so, you know, especially we're not going to be able to stop technology. We're not going to be able to stop the fact that our information is going to be easily available and portable so, you know, it's, I think it's great that there are some fines, but of course, we also don't want to put such a burden on the system that it doesn't focus on the best health care. So, Bill, why don't you tell us, what are some of the biggest challenges for you with regard to medical records, electronic medical records? The, lar the largest challenge is what they call HIE, which is Health Information Exchange. Um, each state is going to be setting up their own system for exchanging records. And just like in a hospital, there are several different ways to accomplish that. And what we're seeing now is the award of uh, contracts to build these HIEs for the states. And many of the states are doing this very differently. And so just like you talked about, uh, you know, getting the wrong record and everything, that, that's going to be a challenge as we try to integrate all the states and all these health systems. So you're saying that there's really no overall strategy or overall kind of uh, protocol for how these are set up? It's not, state to not state? Not mm -hmm. You know, the, the bigger players in the market like ADS, EDS and ACS. You're going to have to tell what those acronyms are because most of my audience may not know. So you'll uh, need... EDS is Electronic Data Systems. Okay. Uh, they are fairly large in the medical uh, records uh, industry and ACS, excuse me, I'm not sure what the acronym is there. Okay, but, but is that another one? Yes, like company. And they play at the state level. 
Well, I wonder how political that is. <laughs> yeah. That's well, interesting. And we're seeing, you know, interesting, we're seeing, you know, some states will have to actually convert back to paper before they can go electronic. Oh, that so sounds like a lot of work. we have to be cautious of as we move forward here. So, I mean, that's one of the, probably the largest challenges to make sure that, first of all, all the state information can be exchanged, but then we get into lower that all the physician information, all the hospital information, all the player, payers and plan information can be exchanged. That and, would be hard, like if you're if you're a patient and you're moving from, Michigan to Florida to California. A lot of people are quite mobile now, taking a job wherever they can get it. That could be a real problem in terms of that exchange, right? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. So, Mike, how do you train your staff to be privacy conscious in this crazy world? That's a good question, Mari. We we uh, at APS take uh, privacy and security uh, very seriously, and it's a high priority for us, uh, obviously. Um, and uh, it's interesting, your, your, I gave you initially sort of a broad description of our obligations under HIPAA and high tech, but we sort of boil those down and, and extract elements uh, of requirements uh, and, and apply them across the board here at APS. And one of those is uh, 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 that we compel our employees to complete a, uh, a HIPAA training uh, module annually and and pursuant to some direction uh, that Bill and I uh, were following from uh, the federal Medicaid uh, agency uh, relative to training, we recently implemented a requirement that all new employees uh, have to uh, complete that training prior to accessing any of our systems that contain PHI. And you better so, again say what PHI is the for PHI our... is uh, an acronym for Protected Health Information. Okay, good. Um, I know this so guy, folks, I have sorry. to laugh because, you know, we all know these acronyms, but I know that sometimes I'll get an email from our listeners and saying, I don't understand what all those letters mean. So that's why I don't mean to bother you, but I know it's like, back, you know, second nature to you, but we need oh, to explain please. what those are. Thanks. Please ask any time. Um, and our, our trainings are... Uh, uh, scenario-based, and it, it was important for us to be able to uh, insert content uh, into those modules, and, and that's proven very useful because we're able to use real events uh, that we've experienced to reinforce our expectations. Uh, the, the module allows us to refer to our internal policies um, and contains links to our uh, uh, expectations and are included in our code of conduct and in all our policies, so it's a bit of an interactive forum. Um, and similarly, we compel all our uh, employees to uh, complete an annual uh, information security training module, and that stresses things like uh, workplace security as it relates to uh, sensitive health information, um, uh, asset protection, um, and, and general best practices in the work environment to maximize security and confidentiality of our uh, the records that we're entrusted with. And, and this includes things such as uh, uh, reinforcement of our expectations relative to password protections, laptop security, uh, file security, 
credentialing protections. And both of these modules contain a testing element at the end that, that must be uh, successfully completed in order for the employee to obtain credit for that completion. And, and I hope, as we'll get into it in a little more detail later, but we also, uh, Bill and I, uh, conduct on-site, face-to-face, uh, all-staff awareness sessions that we think are very important. Um, we've developed a, a privacy awareness homepage on our intranet. Uh, contains such things as uh, uh, continuing education in the privacy field, uh, current events relative to uh, healthcare privacy, um, FAQs on various topics, uh, and best practices generally. We also circulate a, uh, a compliance newsletter on a regular basis to all staff. That's intended to keep them informed of uh, changes um, in the legislative landscape and how our expectations uh, change with those. And, when, and I think probably most importantly, uh, we try to use um, all incidents as learning tools um, by engaging uh, closely uh, the affected management um, and staff, and and we've got a good deal of uh, of mileage out of out of that process. It, it helps to be able to reiterate um, real events and and highlight the areas that uh, we can learn from. I think my audience would be interested to know how many facilities do you have and kind of explain what APS Healthcare is, because I, I was thinking about that, that we didn't really explain that. Could you, could you also explain that for us, Mike? Sure. We, uh, we work um, collaboratively with, with Medicaid agencies in, uh, boy, I think the last time I counted was something like 23 states, mm. um, and, and we've got a large presence in Puerto Rico as well. Um, and, and we also work uh, closely with uh, state and local governments, um, health plans, uh, labor trust groups uh, to design and, and deliver uh, health care services and health care solutions uh, to, to meet um, uh, sort of the cutting-edge uh, health care challenges that those entities would face. And, and we specialize in, in tailoring uh, um, our approaches to the specific needs and challenges of each of those populations wow. um, by doing such things as uh, uh, disease management, um, care coordination, uh, utilization review, clinical quality reviews. Um, and we have a, a fairly substantial behavioral health presence in, oh, probably 40 locations in those 23 states. Amazing. And I wonder how crazy it's going to be when we have Obamacare take, you know, be implemented, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's that's a, what a job. time, right? You two have your job cut out for you for a lot of work. I, I don't know when you're going to get to take a vacation. <laughs> Me either. Yeah. Well, Bill, you know, when you're, when you're talking about those, all those states and that's a lot of patients. So, what do you feel, Bill, are the biggest concerns that the patients that, that are connected with the work that you do, what is their biggest concern? I think there's actually two. Um, the first one is really the whole role model of what security is supposed to be doing. In the, and in the security field, we call it CIA. 
and its confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And so it addresses, you know, is my information confidential? You know, who's seeing it? Why are they seeing it? Um, integrity, you know, is it right? And, uh, you know, availability, can I get to it when I need to get to it? And so that's kind of the first thing they're after. The second thing I feel that they're after is that, you know, can I, when I go to this doctor or if I have to go see a specialist or like you had mentioned earlier, transfer from a state to state, is that information going, going to be there? Is it going to be useful? You know, do I have to, you know, go through and do other things? Hopefully, you know, the overall commitment here is to help reduce costs. Well, you know, Bill, when you're saying this, I just today um, have been, I've been working with this poor client who's a victim of medical identity theft. And when you talked about the things that are important to people, confidentiality, integrity, and accessibility, well, this poor lady um, is the victim of medical identity theft with regard to mental health. And so um, what, a problem that she's been having that I've been trying to help her with and c- explain to her that she has certain rights under HIPAA is that um, her information was shared with those that she didn't want because it wasn't even her. The name was familiar. Uh, the name was very similar to her name. And the records were mixed up, but it ended up becoming medical identity theft. When the when the bad lady found out that her name was almost the same as the other, she started using my client's health insurance. <laughs> but um, talk about integrity. The integrity of, of, the, of the data is all wrong. It's all mixed up because my client had certain issues and the other lady had other issues. And as far as accessibility, she isn't even able to get all this. So... Um, that's real life examples of what can go on. Obviously, it isn't happening with you guys, but it is happening in a lot of other places. Have you ever been uh, experienced any challenges with medical identity theft that you found out about, Mike? Uh, I, not personally, Mari. Although I know it's a it's a uh, real, as you've just illustrated, and um, emerging uh, concern, and I think it tracks the the uh, concern with electronic health records generally. And, uh, and I think very largely is, uh, is the reason for the, 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 the recent focus on ensuring that, that that information is as secure as we can get it. Yeah. And it, it's such a, a challenge for people to, you know, correct these records. I know in, in my, you know, I have a new book with the Complete Idiot Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. And when I was doing the chapter, on medical identity theft and looking in to HIPAA what's allowed, you know, it's it's tough because it's not easy to get records deleted. Do you know what I mean? You can you I can do. get them amended, but they don't want to delete. Now I've been able to get certain doctors to delete medical records, but you know, who knows who else had it who isn't deleting it. Do you know what I mean? So when you've right. got erroneous medical records that maybe show a different blood type or show different diseases, diseases that you didn't have that someone else has. You can I think, see. Well, I'm sorry, Mari. I, I think one of the challenges of, or, or the, or the, um, one of the focuses of the new legislation is to um, not only increase uh, the rights of consumers to to be able to affect what you're describing, but also to get out the awareness that that those rights are even there to exercise. 
Yes. And whatever you can do uh, in that area, I think, is useful um, for the privacy and security arena generally. Well, that's why I wanted to have you guys on the show to help me bring this to the community and and let them see that they have rights and what they can do to effectuate those rights and, and make this program work because we know it's not going away. We know there's going to be electronic medical records. We're not going to put the genie back in the bottle, so we might as well make it right, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, Mike, what has been the impact of, of integrating privacy and security functions so closely? You guys work together pretty closely, right? Well, we do, and that, that – uh, to me, is uh, the unique element of of our program, um, and I think the 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 one that sets us apart from from the rest of the industry um, is that we approach privacy and security holistically, um, in an attempt to arrive at uh, as unified an approach to compliance as we can get, which, as we just we just talked about, is very important in a company as as disparate and as distributed as we are. Um, and, and the key uh, to our success has been uh, the integration of, uh, largely to Bill's credit, the, the varying IT processes uh, and practices and the, and the, and the local uh, physical uh, administrative privacy and security practices, um, which, was, which was very um, largely due to uh, a privacy and security assessment that, that Bill and I uh, conducted over the course of 2009 that we can chat a bit about um, later. And, and part of that process um, sought to put a, a face to our compliance program and personalize it to the extent we can. Um, the the uh, impact of that integration, uh, to me, uh, there's, a, there's a saying perhaps you've heard, Mari, that, that um, you can have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. Exactly. I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> and our our uh, our joint efforts, uh, uh, Bill's and and mine, and the extent that we can integrate them, bring the 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 spirit of that to life. And and it's it's codified in the privacy and security rules of HIPAA. And in our view, they're they're inexorably linked. And, and as the incentives that we've talked about to, to move toward a, uh, a purely electronic health record system uh, become more and more realized, those two functions will become even more closely intertwined. And, and it was our objective to stay out in front of that uh, inevitability. And, and I think we're well positioned to, to meet the, the fluid regulatory environment that, that will flow from uh, the various initiatives of the federal government and uh, are complementary, actually, to our processes. Uh, and, they, you know, the, the, a sort of a simple example or illustration of that is the um, encryption uh, initiative uh, that, that has now been codified into law. And in, in it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple uh uh, example of the integration of privacy and security, and and that dynamic repeats itself uh, in in various contexts uh, on a regular basis. You know, for for my audience to really understand the difference between privacy and we're talking about information privacy, 
um, at the difference between privacy and security. And, and maybe you can help me with this, but we were just, I was at a privacy conference just recently with the Poneman Institute, and we were talking about really the clarification of privacy and security. And we talked, and you, you can add to this if you want, guys. Uh, we were talking about that, that security really, um, you know, puts up barriers around the systems and keeps out and keeps keeps in what's supposed to be kept in, keeps out what's supposed to be kept out, um, and protects the system, whereas privacy focuses on what's in the system, what should be in the system, and what shouldn't be in the system, and how it's accessed, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if you if that makes any sense to, to you or if you want to add to that, but that might help my audience a little bit. I think so. It was well said, Mari. I don't. I don't know that I could uh, make that any 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 better. Actually, right. Uh, so, and you know what's interesting is that we're there is an ongoing debate about that, and even inside of uh, CMS. You know, originally the privacy rule was held by the Office of Civil Rights, and the security was held by uh, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare. And now they've combined it uh, all under, um, you know, HHS under one organization as Office of Civil Rights. Right. You know, even yeah. in California, we did that. We had a, uh, we had the very first Office of Privacy Protection in the country, and then Wisconsin was the second state to have an Office of Privacy Protection, and they kind of took off. Um, and our office actually helped that office to get started. And then what happened after that had been in effect a few years? Then the um, security office of security kind of took it in. And so now they're also in one place and working together and collaborating together and in the same building and, you know, right across the hall from each other, because they also found like, wait a minute, you know, these, you guys got to be talking because you're reliant on each other, right? Oh, absolutely. ideally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah so, cause, I, Cause I've seen across the country where, you know, security is its own function, and it's very technical in nature. Right. And privacy becomes very legal in nature, and the two actually sometimes don't talk. It's amazing some organizations how they don't talk, and that's definitely something that Mike and I, when he started, you know, we sat down and said, we have to make this work. I didn't understand all the legal aspects of it. Mike didn't understand all the technical aspects of it. And so questions all are continually going back and forth all the time about, you know, how does this work? You know, like you were saying, what information is being transferred? How are we protecting that information? Right. So you have to translate for each other, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> he more for me. Right, right. So, Bill, why don't you talk a little bit about that assessment project and, and how it came about and what it entails? About three years ago, I think it was about uh, two or three months after Mike started, our CEO really wanted to put privacy and security at the forefront. He really saw that there was a need um, for it. He, you know, the reputational factor, um, just being a good citizen, that type of thing. Did you and say it was so your CEO that, that wanted that? Our CEO wanted that. See, that's, I just have to say this. That is so wonderful because it has to come from the top. If it doesn't come from the top you know, that doesn't really set the standard. So I applaud your CEO for that. That's great. So I'm sorry Glad to interrupt you. Said that, Mari. It's very important. Yeah. So he uh, tasked Mike and my, myself to come up with a plan, um, and we looked at it many different ways. We looked at outsourcing it. We 
looked at uh, doing it in-house. Uh, we finally decided to do it in-house uh, for several reasons. Probably the biggest reason is that since we're, we're such a diverse organization with the 40-plus offices we have, people really didn't know who we were. We were kind of a voice on a phone or a message or something else. And so kind of moving out into these offices and traveling to these offices gave them the ability to actually see us and to know who we were. Um, and that has really translated into where people are more open. They're more willing to call us with questions. You know, we were getting very few questions. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, after we started to go to the office, people would call up and they would, you know, some of the questions were very benign. Um, others, you know, were very concerning to these people and they needed us to answer whether it was a technical issue or, you know, a legal issue. And um, so that's been a real positive impact that we've seen is that ability for people to uh, call us and talk to us. Um, the program itself started out with a introduction letter. We call our uh, managers in each of the offices executive directors. And, they're, and our CEO made it very clear that the executive director is responsible for privacy and security. And that Mike and I were actually there to support them. And mm -hmm. basically more of an influencer model than coming down you know, as a drill sergeant or whatever into the organization. And so we started out by sending them a letter that introduced ourselves, introduced what the program was to do, and what the final outcome of the program was. And then we would go on site. Um, we actually did physical and technical um, and administrative uh, audits using some different tools that we had created and ranked each office basically on a uh, red, yellow, green type initiative, and then we gave the overall office a rating. Um, we also sat down and learned exactly how each office did their own processes. Um, with this many offices, they you know were not McDonald's. And um, so we started off and uh, sat down with them and did this process. About a month later, we handed them a final report that we saw. And what happened after the final report is initial 30 days would go by and they had an opportunity to correct any shortcomings in their processes. And then we would get back with them in a 30-day period and say, okay, how did you do against this? Where do you need help? You know, are you running into roadblocks? That type of thing. So they really saw us as part of their team, which was probably the most successful thing of what we did. They weren't scared to come and ask us. We didn't want people hiding things from us. And so it was a very positive experience. Right. It wasn't just like you're the uh, the privacy and security police. Right. <laughs> you were there to make an assessment and then from there give them time to get in line. So, so Mike, wh what were the actual steps taken to bring the organization in line with the executive committee vision? I mean, it is hard with 43 uh, facilities and all those different states, you know, because they had state laws as well, right? Exactly. Because I know, like, California has more stri stringent privacy laws, and I would think Wisconsin, maybe some others, than other places. So did you go to, like, take it to the highest bar, basically, that we're going to do, like, the, the 
the highest level of privacy and everybody should be in line or did exactly you... that's our that's our general philosophy is to align ourselves with the most stringent requirement um, and uh, you know in that way capture all the other requirements on a local level and and that was a, a lot of uh, what I did was to identify those unique elements of of various jurisdictions privacy laws and the process that bill's describing where we were actually able to sit down with folks uh, at the local level and 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 very specifically track their workflow uh, allowed us to to mesh those local requirements with our disparate workflows uh, and, and so it required a lot of um, face-to-face interviews, a lot of demonstrations, uh, a lot of whiteboard tracking of data flows, um, gap identifications. Uh, and then Bill and I uh, would spend a lot of time chatting about how to bridge those gaps. Um, and so we did that uh, on, the, on the local level, but also it allowed us, as Bill was referencing, to bridge whatever gaps might have existed between uh, uh, sort of the, the, the corporate versus um, the local and establish a more uh, seamless relationship uh, between the two so that very literally we could work um, cooperatively at the local level with their focus on the local requirements and, and, and at the corporate level on, on the broad vision and the most stringent requirements. Uh, and, and as Bill mentioned, the, the, that, that, that localized, individualized attention um, was, was not only very successful for what we were trying to achieve, but, but also very re- rewarding and, and continues to be uh, uh, illustrated by the, the, the relationships that we've developed with the, with the, with the folks on a local level who who I know feel comfortable that they can call Bill or myself at any time about any question. And it, and it shortens our, our gap exposure. It expedites our response processes. Um, it engenders trust uh, and has a lot of real peripheral benefits. And, uh, it was a pleasurable experience all around. You know, one, you know, one thing that, um, you know, it almost sounds like all these offices weren't doing anything. And what we learned is that they were all doing something, and some of the programs they had put in place were absolutely excellent. So it wasn't us a lot of times going in and teaching them. It was them teaching us. That was going to be my next question, is that I bet you guys learned a lot from them. And and I was going to ask you, what did you learn from them? It, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw that television show that's been on recently. It's a reality show where a CEO of a company goes in kind of undercover and pretends to be a new person working there and then works and then finds out what's really happening. You know, he's the CEO of a company, but he goes out to the individual um, restaurants or whatever it is, and he goes undercover and sees what they're doing and all the good things they're doing and, of course, all the bad things they're doing. But it's a real learning experience to leave the corporate office and go into the trenches. So I, I can see that you guys would really have done that, right? Uh, the learning process was was uh, incredible. It's a good point Bill makes. I'm glad he made it. That I, I, I remain convinced that 
at least I learned more from that process than, than I think the folks at the local level learned from me. Yeah. No, it's... You, go you ahead. An example of uh, one of the processes is um, they had red and green cards, and individual in, in the office would be assigned different weeks, and they would go around to each person's desk, and if they saw a PHI laying out or their computer wasn't locked properly or everything, they got a red card. You know, if everything was done properly, they got a green card. Uh-huh. And, uh, that's something that they came up with on their own and worked very effectively, you know, in the organization and were, you know, promoting some of those ideas back out. Another, and that's, that's uh, a great way to start rather than writing somebody up, you know, that that's a first good start, you know, red card or green card, and then... You know, after a while, hopefully there there won't there'll be all green cards. Right, and what, and what we've seen lately is our larger offices that actually have quality improvement organizations are actually moving that function under the quality improvement, so it becomes part of their quality standards. Great. And you know, it's it's extremely positive to see that type of interaction going. We are speaking with Michael Williamson, who is the current, who's currently the senior consul, the chief compliance officer, and chief privacy officer at APS Healthcare. And we are speaking with his wonderful counterpart, who's in, in charge of security. We're speaking with William Turner, who is a certified information privacy professional. He's also the chief security officer for APS Healthcare. They've had this wonderful collaboration where they've set forth uh, audits throughout the company, but not just to audit to find problems, but to help increase protection for patients and to increase compliance with all the crazy federal and state laws that they have to deal with. So Mike, um, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced when, when you both were out there trying to get the organization to come in line and, and have this higher consciousness about privacy and security? If, before I answer that, I'd have to, I have to say, Mari, that, that between Bill and I, I think you would have gotten a little fine there for referring to the process as an audit. We went to great lengths to, to make sure that it wasn't perceived as an audit. And okay, more an of assessment. A, a yeah. collaborative <laughs> assessment. Okay, okay. I, I stand corrected. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, initially, the question of uh, whether uh, that the assessment project should be conducted um, internally or uh, contracted out. There are entities who could do, uh, I think, a version of what we did, and uh, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about that uh, dynamic and, and which way uh, we should go. And and. I think for the reasons that uh, uh, we've already discussed, uh, primarily our distribution, um, our disparate workflows, uh, Bill and I felt that it was essential uh, that it be done uh, internally. And, and, and as you mentioned, with the support of our CEO, um, we're able to get that authorization. And, and then it became uh, a matter of uh, that that delicate issue we just chatted about uh, of making sure that it was not perceived uh, to be uh, an audit and, and that we weren't out to get anyone um, and and it was uh, anything but uh, a gotcha process that we were very interested in working collaboratively uh, and cooperatively 
um, and establishing that that trust uh, and that relationship was uh, was uh, uh, what we knew would be a challenge, and that we worked hard to um, to address and and were, were I think very successful in doing in doing that. And 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 Bill uh, deserves a lot of credit for for you know his disposition and his personality and the way he's able to relate to folks. Um, and so we were able to overcome the, the, the stigma that we were afraid of um, and, and, and personalize the process uh, so that we could uh, foster the, the relationships that I was referring to um, before with the local staff. And then, and then finally making sure that, that the folks, once we uh, left uh, and that once they uh, received their report, and and that we had gone over that and and highlighted the positives and corrected the negatives that uh, the local um, operations didn't consider it to be uh, what we kind of called the one and done process. That there was uh, expectations that um, we uh, were looking to meet on an ongoing basis and. And that they knew we would be counting on them to uh, maintain the awareness, um, the momentum uh, uh, towards optimal compliance that that I think we uh, uh, created. Uh, we used to refer to it as a as a rolling platform, um, so that sort of everyone could hop on and 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 we could distribute uh, uh, targeted um, pieces to. Uh, the local offices as we went. You know, Mike, when, when even someone says the word compliance in a, in an organization, everybody kind of like shrieks, you know, Tell me about it, <laughs> and, and you know, they think you're wearing a black hat. And so I think the idea that both of you felt so strongly and collaboratively about doing it in-house so that there wasn't any compliant outside compliance company coming in and then scaring everybody to death and then leaving, you know, just pillaging everything, you know, um, and excellent point. And, and the fact that you came in with the positive attitude that both of you have. And I know when I met Bill in person, I just really thought he was terrific and wanted to have him on the show. So I know what you mean, but I, I do think the idea that you came in like, all right, we have a job to do. We all are in this together we're coming out to you. We want to know what are your concerns. We want to help you. We want to show you what you need to do. We're willing to give you the feedback and help you grow and to keep the organization on an even keel that we're going forward to do the right thing. I think that um, it is commendable. And of course, it's because your CEO was in charge of it. I mean, the one that he had such a strong vision that makes it because I have seen organizations where the CEO doesn't give a darn and then no one else does either. So even though you have compliance issues with um, federal and state uh, regulators, it doesn't matter if your CEO doesn't have his heart in the right place. Completely agree. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I thought of when you were talking about all this was how every every time I see challenges, and I do privacy audits, I'm one of those that comes in, but I'm real nice too, like you guys are. (laughs) And um, one of the things that that I notice is that the human element is always the weakest link. You know, you could have the best technology, right? 
and and I'm sure Bill can talk to this more than than you and I could even, Mike. You could have the very very best technology and all the right things, but you got some human that's making a careless error or doesn't or isn't thinking or isn't doing something right, or maybe they're unscrupulous. What do you think about that, Bill? I know you probably don't have that much of it where you are, but is isn't that something that you hear about as well? Uh, you know, the studies indicate that if you're going to have a problem, it's going to be inside the organization. It's not going to be an attack from outside the organization. Yeah. And so, you know, we really, you know, part of the process that we went in through, and this was a learning process when we first started, is that we had a very formal presentation. And when we did this presentation, you know, it was a PowerPoint and all this, and no one questioned. No one had any questions. No one talked to us. And we quickly realized um, that that wasn't a good way of doing this. Right. So we had, you know, we follow an outline, but it's a very informal process of sitting down with these these uh, folks, our staff, our workforce, and discussing, you know, how do you protect PHI in the office? You know, what what is your responsibility there? Mm-hmm. And then we also talked about. We have a lot of health coaches that are actually out in the field and actually travel extensively. You know, how do you protect paper? How do you protect your laptop? All of our laptops are encrypted, but we still, you know, are concerned when equipment assets get get stolen or taken. Right. And so, you know, we discussed about you know what the appropriate way to do it. We use slash-proof briefcases. Uh, we bought uh, some special uh, cables that they can actually lock it in their car if they're traveling. Um, we have individuals that have to work out of their home, and so we went through, you know, what's appropriate in your home? You know, do you have a place to lock up uh, any of your electronic equipment, any of your paperwork? Do you have a shredder? You know, those type of items. And getting across to them generally that, you know, a robbery only takes about 30 seconds, and you can lose quite a bit of information in that period of time. And so most of them didn't think about it. And so it gave them an opportunity to ask a lot of questions back. And I think that was the most successful thing um, from Mike's and my standpoint is that they ask a lot of questions back. How do we do this? Right. So you got them, you, you got them to integrate into it. You got them to engage and, and start to see at the application level, what this all really means to them in their daily work, which is very, very important because if you're going to talk at PowerPoint and you're talking about, statistics or you're talking about uh, rules and regulations, it just doesn't come home, does it? No, and, you know, one, one thing that, that I've learned with, the, with the, our workforce is that they really, they have the same issues that we're discussing with them. I mean, they're a consumer just like, you know, I'm a consumer of health information. Right. And a lot of times they, they haven't thought about this. And we get across to them, you know, that we're here to protect the company, we're here to protect our consumers, and we're here to protect them, because we don't want any of our people, you know, going going to jail or anything like that. And not only that, you have information on them in your in your HR department. You have their social security number, or they can't get a check. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, to to the basic question, you know, yes, internally. Theoretically, that's where a lot of the activity occurs. Um, I don't think it's people maliciously going after things. I think it's the accidental right. processes that have been in place for six or seven years that no one has thought about. 
or you know, or you may have or they may know the processes and they forget it. I mean, that's I what I've seen. Right. Yeah, that's what I've that's seen. That's why education and re-education is very important. Right, right. Well, you know, I see what you've done as really not just being in the healthcare field. I see it in the finance. You know that this whole type of assessment and the way that you've done it, the the manner in which you've done it, and the support from your CEO really transfers to the financial industry, transfers to universities, all the places that have had security breaches and have had problems. I mean, it really is um, a, an approach that. I think should be used universally. It seems to be very effective. We only have about uh, two more minutes. If you could just tell us, either one of you or both of you, what advice you'd give to those who may be, you know, what other companies that are driving by right now here that may be contemplating such an effort to do such an assessment bill. Could you give some advice and then maybe Mike too? Um, I think the first thing is what we've kind of talked about is the support of the executive committee and, you know, especially the CEO. Um, if they're if they're going to be behind you, they're going to, you're going to be successful. And how about Second, you, Mike? Uh, lay out your uh, objectives and your plan clearly at the outset. Be gentle and uh, 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 frame it as a as a collaborative learning process. Yes. Well, why don't you give your website, and then people can come and at least see all the great work that you're doing with APS? Oh, sure. It's uh, www.apshealthcare.com. Well, I want to thank you both for all your time and the wonderful work that you've done. It's great that you have this. I was going to say you have a dog and pony show that you've been taking across the country that seems to be very effective. And um, and I really applaud you both for the great work that you're doing in privacy and security so we'll have you back again and see what you're going to do if you're going to take it on the road again so, thank you very much Mark. okay, okay we'll have you back again thank you so much bye-bye you've, bye. you've been listening to kuci 88.9 fm at irvine and kuci.org on the net i'm mari frank join us every monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m right here on kuci Also, visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. There you can see our upcoming guests in their bios. You can also see our past guests since 2005, their wonderful bios and their websites. And also you can listen to archived interviews and download podcasts. We would really love to hear from you. So write us an email about what you're concerned about with privacy in the information age. Thank you, and we hope you'll join in next Monday morning. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.